0: yep for all you naysayers we're back again this week with another episode of the steel target paint podcast as always it's me jeff jones and my partner in crime
1: steve foster how you doing jeff
0: i'm doing great steve you know it's been a good week it's been a short week we had monday off and um you know having monday off i was able to do some practicing and uh you know i just like to talk about some things here uh i think that uh uh, we can share some good information with our listeners. Um, and the first topic I was hoping to talk about was, you know, getting back into it. You've had a lot of things going on in your life uh, that have nothing to do with shooting that have taken you away from the range, uh, that beautiful home range uh, <laughs> for, a, for a, uh, stints. And, you know, I thought we'd talk a little bit about, you know, your theories and some of my theories about, getting back into the sport. I've got some students that are coming back to me and, uh, you know, I can share what I'm doing with them and, and, uh, and hopefully everybody can learn something from what
1: we talk about. What do you think about that? Sounds like a great idea. First of all, I want to know who are these naysayers? I, you know, there's, there,
0: have you been <laughs> on the internet? Have you been on the internet? If there's a oh, chance for man. someone to take the opposite position, that's the place it's going (laughs) to (laughs) happen.
1: I hear you. Well, they're, they're still pretty distracted with the other shenanigans that we won't talk about. (laughs) So, okay. So you've been,
0: you were off for a couple of weeks there. I mean, again, you had family things going on and personal things going on and you finally decide, okay, I've got to get back on the range. Do you set yourself up with
1: any expectations? So that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I did have a period of time getting ready for my daughter's surgery that we went up to New York for. And then, of course, I was out of pocket for uh, just over a week in the hospital. And then, of course, recovery from there. And uh, sometimes life gets in the way of, you know, new job and all those kind of things. And yeah, let's let's talk through that a little bit. I, I think that shooting is somewhat a perishable skill. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, we've talked about it before, you know, two years ago or so, whenever it was back in June, um, a couple years ago, when I shot that uh, sub 60, you know, that didn't happen overnight. I mean, that was a pretty dedicated tra- training regimen. I mean, you know, shooting multiple times a week, you know, not necessarily just once a week or once every other week, you know, there, there are shooters out there that get to that level. And uh, they can pick up right where they left off to some extent. Um, But I knew what it took to get there. And, you know, we all have to make choices in our lives on, you know, we want to spend our time doing that or spend time doing that. And I support 100%. I've seen, you know, I've worked with some folks here recently that have that fire and, you know, want to be the fastest. And they want this or they want that. And, uh, you know, I support them 110%. Just don't get burned out on it, you know, because there is there is – Other aspects to shooting that I think are extremely important, but it's great to be on the podium. You know, it's great to be at a certain level where, you know, I think I shared with you last year, I ended up um, winning my hundredth major title, which is a significant accomplishment for me. But now that I've taken some time off, um, I went to the range here a couple weeks ago with uh, somebody that I was training and shot. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I got to put the training wheels back on, but um, I had a focused training session on Sunday, albeit not long. It was just an hour. And typically, you know, when I'm out there shooting, it's, it's a, a couple hour event. I'm cramming down some, some, uh, you know, uh, rounds down range, but what I've shared with this particular person, and I share it with most of the people that I work with is that you always have to start off when you walk down to the range, you have to go one for one. So let's say we focus on a stage. I think I got, I've never said set that
0: by the way. I, I know, I know.
1: <laughs> you're one shot, one steal, but I know what you mean. So every time you walk and start a, start a training session, this is just my personal belief. And this is what I teach is, you know, it doesn't matter what the time is. You got to start off your first, I call it because how I train, not to let too many secrets out of the bag, we always shoot. Uh, we always shoot stages. What I mean by stages is, you know, we always shoot five strings, and then we take the best out of the five, just like we're in a match. Because I think you need to train for match conditions. And so on Sunday, I went down there with my rimfire rifle, open gun, and shot five to go. And I went one for one. You know, it, it, again, it's been a while since I shot five to go. The last couple of local matches I've shot um, didn't have five to go. And you know, I I shot a. I think it was maybe like a two two oh five two oh seven, which, you know, I felt like it was going to be like a two seventy or maybe a three second run, because I was just very deliberate, going one for one, and I was like, huh, okay, and then as I would in a match, I just turned it up a little bit, and I was in the one ninety two one ninety three range, I was like, ah, just the way I'd shoot it in a match, so then I shot a one eighty five, just as I would in a match, I shot a one seventy four. And then, uh, so I had four good ones and then I shot a one sixty four, and I missed, uh, the elusive plate four. and so I share that with you to say that, you know, before you work on speed or anything else, and you have to be, you have to have that level of consistency. And more importantly, what I teach is control. So the next, uh, you know, so I got my baseline, I know where I'm at, and then I worked on my speed and then before I leave the range, I dial it to. Back to my 95 percent, you know that targeted edge dial i, I put it back to 95 like i'm gonna shoot it in a match and then uh i think i shot a 720 or 723 um where you know i would sh- hopefully shoot that in a match but you know there's certainly some times out there that were just you know had some blazing ones but boy did i have some fast ones that i only hit two targets you know but well i think Let's
0: let's stop for a second here because yep. you said a couple things there that I really want to share and, and how I share it when I train my students. And, you know, you talked about the people that want to get out there and they want to be the fastest and all that kind of stuff. And that's a great goal. But I always tell people, you've got to be the fastest, you know, let's say I'm coaching little Timmy. You've got to be the fastest little Timmy. You can't be the fastest Grant Conkle. There's already one of those. There's already a fastest, you know, uh lance bratcher jr there's there's you know go through the name sorry fast steve foster you got to be the fastest little timmy you can be and going out there and to your point the whole you know you know my mantra grip the gun go one for one holds true in that respect because your one for one runs and we both know and everybody knows that one for one is not ping ping it, it's not just hitting the targets it's it's one for one at your best speed right is is going to be uh, the most important thing but you've got to you've got to consider yourself the fastest you can be so when I train my students one of the first things I will do is say when they walk up to the box I'm going to say what's your number and they know what I'm asking is what is your current peak average string time
1: yep that's exactly right
0: you know and then you know something i i you and i have talked about a little bit offline i've picked up from a lot of the people and i've kind of changed it on my own is that first one that first run you want to be within 10 percent of your of your personal best so if you're a two-second shooter and you come out and you shoot a 220 you're right where you need to be and it's also a good gauge to know that number because if you come out and you shoot a 180, don't change anything, just keep shooting 180s. Oh, yeah. um, you know, at least on the first four, get get four good ones in and, and step it up. And to your point, you know, work on getting a little faster every time. But some people they hit that peak on that first string. Some people being me and just about everybody out there, they hit that 180 on the first string. And the next thing you know, they're trying to get faster and faster and faster. And what they end up doing is just missing more and more and more Yeah, because they've lost that focus. Um, the next thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, I use the AMG lab timer. You use them. Do you, when you have that either really good run or, or you have a, you, you have what you feel is a good run. You look down at your time and you go, wow, it, that, that, that's not as good as I thought it was. Are you going back and looking at your draw, your splits and and trying to pick out, you know, where it was you were slow?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. I I think the opportunity as um, as you shoot more, you you don't have to look at the timer. You know exactly what's going on and where it's going on. And you look at the timer for confirmation of Mm -hmm. what you should already know at a certain level and I, you know, that's more experienced grandmaster, you know, top, whatever the game, you know, it. it's, it's, it's funny. Um, I did that activity. We were shooting, I don't know what stage it was. And, um, I think it may have been roundabout. And I think I shot like a 155. And I said, yeah, that, that first time was point, probably point five eight point six And, and uh that's why I wasn't a one thirty-five or one thirty-eight. And they're mm-hmm. like, Yeah, it was a it was a sixty-one. It's like, how the hell do you know that? I said, Well, I know how fast I based on my speed, where I shoot that stage when you know I'm performing at, you know, where I've been at in the past. And so I think that it's important um to understand where you need to speed up or where you need to slow down. But the number one piece of feedback that I have for people is is that you need to be able to call your shots and be able to know where you're hitting on a plate or where you're missing a plate. And if you can't call your shot, that means you weren't looking at the dot or the front sight on the target when you pull the trigger, which, yep. you know, it's, yeah, you have to give every single target its diligence. And uh, there are some targets you can quote unquote cheat, maybe play two on accelerator. Sometimes you can get away with some things, yep. but you, you can't take any of those targets for granted because as soon as you do so accelerator is a good one and i've shared this with more than a couple of people i for whatever reason because i i firmly believe everybody has a shooting tendency and that's why people come to see me is figure out you know what's their tendency what's going on and how to fix it to get past a hump but one of my tendencies on accelerator i point shoot plate four why the heck i started that no idea jeff but it's been going on for a couple of years so whenever i get up to accelerator i Okay, keep your eye on the dot on that plate four when you squeeze the trigger, and undoubtedly, because you know our subconscious kicks in, and that's where we want to be shooting. I'll point shoot it, and I'll get the stop plate, pull the trigger. Like, boy, I point shot plate four, and I think I heard a hit. You know, it's just one of those one of those kind of things. So, I, well, I guess, I'm I'm glad I you brought re- up Accelerator.
0: Re- I think Accelerator is maybe one of the the if you were to pick one stage. start somebody training on i think accelerator is just a perfect stage to do it because it's got everything it's got you know uh, a draw to a smaller plate you've got this you know virtual drive by in plate two then you've got this longer transition over to plate four and it's a big plate but it's also at 20 yards then you've got this reverse coming back if you're shooting it one two four three stop you've got this transition back to a 12 inch plate, but it's at 20 yards and then you've got a snap to the stop. So it's got a mixture of everything. Mm. And, you know, the one thing that I notice, um, and, and I do use a timer a lot and I talk to people and I look at splits is that transition from two to four. If you're shooting it in that pattern is where most people are losing time because they're, they're, they're not, they're not snapping over. And to your point, you know, when you say you're point shooting that you're driving to a spot yes. and pulling the trigger.
1: That's exactly right. The index is, and I hit it I, maybe 99% of the time, you know, it's a high, it's a high ratio, but if I'm knocking it out, that means my index is perfect when I'm yep. going to that target and, and, uh, changing directions.
0: Well, you know, and you mentioned, you mentioned calling your shots and and I had people, for years say, you know, do you call your shots? And I used to say, I'm not good enough to call my shots. And then I realized when I was in matches and I was calling my own misses or practice and I was calling my own misses, I was realizing, yeah, I I am calling my shots. I'm calling exactly where I missed it. You know, I missed it low left. I missed it high, right. I, 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 you know, didn't get there fast, you know, didn't pull the trigger too soon. I missed it early, that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, for me, as far as calling my shot to know I hit it, that's what I still tend to be more of an an auditory uh, where I'm, I'm listening for it. And I know a lot of people are going to be saying, oh, well, you're not going to be as fast as you can. It, it's just how I've always done it. And um, it, it's tough. It's tough to break. So I'm like, I'm confirming the hit, not with a visual aspect of I knew the dot was on The plate but i'm i'm you know like i know i need to go back to a plate for one of two reasons i was off the plate or i didn't hear a ding so technically you know in that respect i guess i am calling my shot but i'm not i'm not worrying about going back to a plate because i you know i'm not saying oh that dot was on the plate i know i pulled the trigger when the dot was on the plate and i move on it's more i heard i heard the ding yeah no nope. yep um, because there's been a lot of times too where my dots on the plate and i pull the trigger and i still miss because i'm moving the gun <laughs> after i pull the trigger and still impacting the the trajectory of the bullet
1: and i think i think that is um and i call it a bad habit but i do the same thing it, it's just part of when i started shooting it was the same thing i was always listening i was always listening. Um, trying to validate because I was trying to go so fast and I would know to make it up more on the listening and then the sight thing. And I've tried a couple different methods to, uh, you know, earplugs that you can't hear anything. And it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I'm sure there's a lot of people that have different feedback for that type of thing, but I try not to, but I have found myself as kind of like a, a second or a third check, if you will is to uh is to listen for it yep yeah well everybody
0: again everybody's got their own style and and you know how many times you had somebody come up to you and go what's the best way to shoot this stage
1: oh i wish i had a buck yeah but the and the answer is it one for one
0: (laughs) well one for one for 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 sure
1: the best way to shoot any stage
0: but but it but it depends because i've got I've got right-handed shooters that shoot great left to right, but I've got right-handed shooters that shoot great right to left. And you have to shoot to your advantage. So when you're looking at a stage like Pendulum, very symmetric, uh, what would be another, Smoke and Hope is another one, very symmetric stage. You know, uh, you've got to go out to plate one. You've got to go out to plate four. So the distance you're going to travel is the same regardless yeah it's yep. find out where your strengths are and you know you've got one now at the house and i i haven't done it for a while uh because i haven't had many new students that are brand new to the game but i take them down to the plate rack
1: oh yeah the plate and, rack will teach you a lot about how well you shoot or not
0: yep well that's that's really good that's really good so now when you were you're, you talk about your your practice times i mean a good let's just say a good average session for you how many rounds you put down range
1: you know it's it's tough to get carried away
0: no it's easy to get carried away because i've been there i've had 700 rounds training
1: sessions oh yeah that's that's nothing jeff (laughs) um you know if i'm in that three to five range three to five hundred that's you know that's fair um, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't find many times that I go out there and I don't shoot less than that. I shoot less than two hundred fifty or 300 rounds, Okay even if it's not a big, serious kind of thing. But when I was training a little bit more heavy, yo, yeah, oh yeah, no, I, it wouldn't be anything to shoot a thousand rounds in a training session,
0: single gun, multiple guns, multiple
1: and, multiple and guns. I try, and I try to vacillate into different platforms, right? It's whether it's right, wrong or indifferent. I don't train as much with my pcc as i probably should or could for whatever reason jeff i don't know from primers (laughs) no no, it's not that i don't know what it is but you know back in 2017 2016 the end of 2016 beginning of 2017 when i started shooting for pcc which you know i had a lot of opportunity to shoot pretty much any pcc out on the market um and i actually bought a jp and then did well and then say, Hey, you know, let's sell some guns. And that's where the sponsorship developed about. And that's probably, we talked about sponsorship in the past, um, here on the podcast. And if we've got a couple minutes. I want to come back to it. Um, but I don't know what it was. As soon as I picked up that gun, I could shoot it faster. And I did, there was a stretch of time for probably two years that I could shoot my PCC faster than any other gun that I had for, it, it, you know, mm-hmm. and Kurt Grimes, he's listening. He's like, how do you shoot that brick? of?" Because at the time, I mean, that gun was probably, he said 12 pounds, but I think it was like seven or eight, <laughs> you know, full <laughs> 16 inch. It wasn't a light contour barrel. And I said, man, check this out. This is awesome. He's like, what the hell are you doing with this thing, boat anchor? But, you know, at the time, back way back when, when, you know, shooting a sub 70 was a big deal, I think I shot a 67, 52 or something like that. It was 2017 2018 at the Alabama State uh, State Steel match. That was the fastest time for, and it held for a while. Uh, the fastest time I ever shot in PCC. So, for whatever reason, shooting a PCC, I, I don't know. I, I don't shoot it as much, um, but I just kind of pick it up because I, I think some of the skills are transferable. You know, you still need to practice with it, but going back and forth from iron to open. I've kind of slowed down a little bit on the iron side stuff. As I get older, I need to get my prescription where it needs to be. But, you know, I I try to go between pistol and rifle. Certainly, you know, I still want to be really, really good with a rifle. So I spend maybe just a little bit more time with my open rifle. But I think going back and forth different platforms, it helps you refocus on the fundamentals, especially if you're doing a long training session to get ready for a match.
0: Well, you know what's funny because I've I've got a, a bunch of people that are shooting both guns, and whenever they walk up the line, and they they tend to always walk up, and they've got and they're going to shoot their rimfire rifle open first, and that's fine, and they get there with a PCC, and I just look at them and I go, it's just a loud twenty-two, yeah, it's just a louder twenty-two. There's nothing that's different about it. And, you know, one of the things and whether it's true or not, but one of the things that I've always thought about with regards to the difference is there's this subconscious more respect for a PCC because it tends to be heavier. It it's, you know, a nine millimeter uh, bullet is, is, is more aggressive than a 22 and so people's fundamentals actually are better with the pcc than it is with a within a rimfire rifle at times you know you can you it's it's easy to get sloppy with any gun but i think it's easy to get sloppy easier to get sloppy with it with it with the rimfires
1: and here's here's why i think that's a a fantastic point because i've even noticed this with myself over the course of my shooting career is that it is easier to get sloppy with a 22 because they're not as heavy yep. so you don't feel like you need to grip them as tough or not not tough you know i mean you don't want to squeeze the living crap out of it but with a pcc knowing that it's they're typically heavier you have to put a little bit more into it to hold the gun and those kind of things and don't get me wrong when you're moving fast and get a little extra weight it's a little bit more forgiving from a stability perspective than some of the the lightweight guns and you know everybody's got their own style and what they yep. can do and so on and so forth um, and sometimes I do think, and this is personal opinion, I'm sure there's some people out there like, no, no, and don't listen <laughs> to us ever again. That's cool, I get it. You know, we we'll, we live in a free society and we still have free speech. Is that I think you can get a gun too light. I think that with a ten twenty two, I shoot a while on chassis, which I love because of the adjustability, so on and so forth. Um, oh, did I tell you small off subject, uh, Bill Robinson's making I've got Yep. Uh, couple prototypes here i gotta throw one on i've I've meant to do it a hundred times but i'm looking at one right now i actually
0: have he had it he came to our match uh last month and he had it on his gun and and i got to uh shoulder it and uh it's nice
1: yeah it feels good doesn't it yeah i i just haven't i just haven't shot with it yet but anyway um i i think that you know, with some of these ultra, ultra lightweight barrels, they may be for some folks. And I think that there's, especially if you have um, somebody that may be ne- not be able to support a gun that's heavy or, you know, more than, you know, four pounds or something like that. Maybe I'm thinking junior shooters and mm-hmm. maybe some folks with disabilities, those kind of things. I think there's a great market for some of these ultra, ultra lightweight barrels. I see Todd at He's got a five ounce barrel coming out, Hoo-wee, son. I can't. I'm gonna get one just to try it, to be honest with you. But I think sometimes the gun can get a little bit whippy, depends on your shooting style. So just be careful. If you can shoot one and shoot one fast, have at it. Good for you. That's awesome. But uh, was working with somebody recently, and I gave him a 15 ounce barrel compared to I don't know, like a 10 ounce barrel, and uh, times times increase just because of the stability no it's like a light switch and so sometimes you got to match the equipment to to your shooting style if you don't want to change your shooting style
0: 100 100 agree it's it's amazing that one of the things i've always said is you can't buy your game a lighter barrel is not going to make you faster it has the potential to make you faster again as you just pointed out, if your skill set allows you to shoot a lighter barrel. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, one of the biggest things, cause I also shoot a, a, a Magnum research in a Weiland chassis and I love it. But before that I shot a volkortzen in a classic uh, Magpul M22 stock. And I got to GM with it and I love that gun. I still have that gun. And when I moved to the Magnum Research in the Wineland, it definitely had that whippy feel. And I had to get comfortable with the fact that I had to do some things differently compared to the other gun. Yeah. Doesn't make one better or worse than the other. It's just you have to be prepared for that. Um, I noticed it specifically years ago um, when I bought a 2245 light.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Which yeah, I yeah. you know, and I shoot
0: you know, uh, I I shoot a Vulcorts and Scorpion. And I love that gun. It's it's you know, shout out to Kurt Omen setter. He's the one that turned me onto them years ago. Uh I had my victory break uh going into a match and uh I had my 2245 with me and I was like, "Okay, I'll just shoot this." And then I I looked at the schedule and I I was rooming with Kurt and I said, "Hey Kurt, can I borrow your gun?" He's like, "Sure." And I got I, I did well in the match. I think I won my class at the time, which was like B. Um, I mean, it was early in my career, and uh, got home and put together a an order for a a scorpion, and 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 have not shot yeah. anything since. And that's a heavier gun compared to you know a twenty two forty five, and I, I could not I control th- a twenty two forty five.
1: Yeah, you're you're exactly right. Adam Reno is a great. Adam, are you listening to me? Adam, are you out there? He is blazing. My man shot, what, a 69 last weekend? uh, Was that last weekend or a week before? I think it was Indiana. But anyway, he shot a a sub-70 with an iron sight pistol. And I think he shoots a, a, a lightweight upper. I'm telling you, Adam, call me. I'll send you an upper. Because um, I'm a dealer for Volquartsen, and I sell a ton of Volquartsen and Mambas. You put that upper on your gun, I think your times will go down because he transitions the gun well. But that just a little bit of extra stability, I noticed that as soon as I started shooting my CWA. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, I went, my first CWA, which was one of the first production CWAs, was all aluminum. Which was great, but just a little bit too light. And then we went to the 2211 style. Went with uh, um, a steel uh, frame. Oh my goodness, it game changer. I mean, it, it makes for me it makes me a better shooter. So, and some of that's your tendency, and you know, with handguns, one of my tendencies is not to grip the gun hard enough because I shoot a lot of twenty twos. Yeah, and then when yeah. I'm not shooting that well, like I was practicing with uh, um in my open gun two weeks ago, just because you know sometimes you just got to keep it fun, right? I oh I, yeah. I need to draw and shoot more open, but you know, same thing with a revolver. It's, you know, why are we doing this? Cause we want to have fun. Sometimes stress relief and sometimes competition, sometimes building relationships and all those kind of things. But man, it's first thing I, first string or two, I shot the open. Gun. man, this is okay. Hey, channel your inner Jeff, grip the gun. <laughs> and it's amazing. The difference when you really put concentrated effort on gripping the gun and what happens to uh, the stability in your time. So you know, you know I think you, know, you make a great point with a twenty two forty five light.
0: Yeah. For those for those that have listened to Laney Basham, you know, he talks about the uh, the different circles uh and and you're you know you've got your conscious your subconscious and your ego and you want to have those those circles all equal and then as you get better each circle is getting bigger and bigger and for the the pistol like early on when i started shooting pistols when i switched over to shooting a lot of the center for our pistols and especially the revolver it was all about focusing on that draw and that grip and yeah. getting that and and because that is the foundation for everything else that happens on the stage you know the beautiful thing about rimfire is you get to set your grip you, you get mm-hmm. to set that stock in your shoulder you get to set your grip on the pistol um and so, if you have a bad grip, you have no one to blame but yourself. Uh, yeah. Now, granted, you have the same thing to do, but you get the you get to set that. Uh, you know, when you when you add in the concept of a centerfire and having to draw the gun, you've got a whole new dynamic that you've got to add into the game. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, it's uh, it's fun, but you know, you talk about the revolver, and you know, the one thing I, I loved about the revolver early on was that. I literally had no expectations and it was just, it was a, an amazing experience and fun. Everyone is like, Oh my God, revolver so hard. Yeah, it is hard. But if you go out there with no expectations and focus back on all the skills that you've learned up to that point and you know, the whole concept, grip the gun, go one for one twist at the hips, you know, it suddenly your times start coming down. And it's kind of like, you know, that, uh, I heard somebody talking about golf and, you know, what keeps people going back to golf is that one drive out of 18. That is just gorgeous, you know, and it's the same thing. You get that, that one run, uh, you know, for sake of argument, you know, you're, you're an A-class shooter and you get that one string. That's a GM string. And you're like, wait a minute, I I can do this, (laughs) you know, And, and then you keep, you keep pressing and you keep pressing and. You know, we talked, you talked earlier about, you know, all the different barrels that are out there and all the different parts. And I have always stated to people, you know, you can't buy your game, but what you can buy is reliability. Oh, yeah. You know, and you can, you can, if you take care of your equipment and you've got good equipment behind you, and this goes down to not just the gun, but also the magazines and all that stuff that, and you keep it clean you don't have to worry about that when you're at a match you know and and you know how many times have you been in a match where you've had a stove pipe and you've you've actively got to think about not thinking about that on the next string you have to yeah, stay for, focused on the fact that okay the gun's going to run i'm not going to worry about
1: that and we've talked about it before i mean um i maybe been a year or so ago don't get me wrong, I think that people that are getting into the game do what you can afford. don't let yes. you know you don't have to shoot a you know twenty five hundred dollar gun to have fun yep um yep. but over the course of time, the more serious and this is my advice to folks is you know the more serious you get, you know that's when for a pistol you, there there's two in my mind I mean don't get me wrong there's some there's some unicorns out there where people get twenty two forty fives or victories or so on and so on. So forth to run and run really well, but my advice to everybody in, is to step up to a or go to a CWA. You I know I, I I shoot a. I C couldn't anyway. agree more. I love the I love the feel of it, but the Volquartsen with the tandem Cross lower, you know the Mamba. They're now making the Mamba um, X. The Mamba X, yeah, in which is a uh, um, a flat top. But then they just released the Scorpion version of the yep. uh, of the uh, Mamba X, so you can get it in a Mark III now, whereas you couldn't um, not too long ago. So it's what you're getting with with uh, you know Volkortsen, and then with CWA is you're getting reliability, you're getting a custom gun, custom feel. You know uh, the the 2245 is what I recommend for everybody, especially if you want to shoot any sort of 1911 or 2011 at some point, because same grip angle. And uh, I think I've only sold one, no, maybe two of the target frame. Mm -hmm. Uh, The rest has been the 2245 by far majority. I think I've only sold one or two scorpions. The rest have all been mambas and mamba x. I've sold a ton of mamba mamba x's, um, mainly the six inch, and that's what I recommend. But you get that consistency and reliability, and if you have an issue, they take care of you. And then if you want the custom custom feel and Spec it out yourself and get some awesome colors and you know, the right trigger length for you and and reliability. That's where you get a CWA. You know more money, but you know th- those are the options when it comes to a pistol rifle. Boy, that kind of opens up a little bit. Um, there's a reason why I shoot a Magnum Research and. It's been great, and there's a reason why I shoot a Potter River Precision trigger because I had issues with another tr- popular trigger group and another popular gun, and you know I can't shoot at the level that I want. Look, I, I want it to make sure it's reliable, and it's not me that's the issue, right? Or I want it to be me that's the issue, not the equipment, right? Um, same thing with the little quartz, and I mean they're they're great guns, but over the course of time, if you're gonna take it serious, you're gonna want to step up. I know it's a lot of money and do it, you know, plan it out and budget it and put it, you know, in, in certain aspects, but don't be messing around. And the other thing I will say about that, and that's why I'm such a fan of the Weiland chassis and honored that Todd, you know, asked me to get a little input on the chassis is uh, it's adjustable. You know, you're going to spend a thousand dollars on a rifle or, you know, the. Well, quartzins are a little bit more money than that. Let's say you're spending fifteen hundred bucks on a gun or whatever that number is, and you you're shooting a, you know a non adjustable stock that's you know a couple hundred bucks. Look, spend the three hundred and fifty bucks or whatever, and or if you want a colors and laser, come see me, Jeff. And then well, let's, get, go, get, let's, get it let's talk about that you. for a second. Because I mean,
0: I started the game shooting a classic laminated stock. Yep. I know you've got a custom painted big daddy stock that is one of the laminated
1: stocks. I've got two of them. Yes, I right. do.
0: We all shot those. And we all started out and as you progress, you know, early on in your career and this goes to everybody, early on in your career, I think just about any gun that is reliable is probably going to get you to master and maybe, maybe into Grandmaster. But if you want to further get into that classification and drive those times down, that's when you're going to have to start shooting some of these guns that we were talking about here, you know, or look at, you know, I mean, I've told the story and I'll, and I'm going to tell it again. And it's just, it's about parts. And I had a student who was shooting a stock Ruger target bull barrel iron sight pistol and she was doing okay and i finally said to her dad i said it's time to upgrade the internals they didn't have the money to upgrade the whole gun but they had the money to upgrade the internals so we got an accurizing kit from bull put it in there and didn't tell her and she shot her first string went one for one turned around and you never saw a bigger smile on a girl's face
1: yeah look look that that's that's you know, let's say let's say all you can afford is and guns are getting expensive and demand is high and it's tough to get stuff, but let's say you find a six hundred dollar Ruger ten twenty two and let's say you get the the light model that's got the aluminum barrel. Yep. And it's and if it's reliable to for you, shoot it, the very first thing you should do is replace the trigger once you have that kind of money and it, it does make a difference. You don't need a pound and a quarter, a pound and a half. You know, get a powder river precision. Mine are all two and a two and a quarter. And then with a couple rounds from my perspective, they're right at two or just a tick under two, or get a Volcorson trigger. I'm not gonna mention another popular trigger because they don't support the sport, but you know, two and a quarter, something that's reliable, a little bit of take up, short reset, and that will make I think from my perspective, it may be a better shooter overnight going from a um, a 1522 platform to uh to a 1022 with a lighter trigger. It, oh. it made me a better shooter
0: overnight. 100%, 100% and you know for years early on whenever I would start a new gun I would just shoot you know the stock the stock gun.
1: Mhm.
0: And I and I used to say it's not the trigger that's holding me back. Yeah. You know you you look at, you know, <laughs> let's go back to accelerator. If your transition from plate two to plate four is 0.6 seconds, it doesn't matter how good your trigger is. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and, you know, offline, you and I've had this conversation constantly where, you know, you're looking at, at, at buying Parts and 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 doing upgrades and 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 getting different guns to squeeze out, you know, tenths of seconds on stages, because that's what you're looking to. That's where you're you're that's where you're at, because you've got the skills. You know how to shoot the stages well, and things like the trigger, things like the weight, things like not having an adjustable stock are slowing you down yeah yep. you know
1: so it, it, and back to the equipment thing real quick And and you know i'm not a sponsored person by them at all although i i've got admiration for them because they're at quite a few matches that i've been at in the last 24 months is tipman you can get a 600 dollars tipman get ready to go and um I just did a modification of one for uh, for somebody that probably listens to the podcast. So I got a, you know, let's call it a $600 tipman if that's what you can afford. Um, we put an elf trigger in it, um, cut down the barrel, had it sleeved, um, put a tandem cross grip, um, the minimalistic stock that I shoot on all of my uh, mission-first tactical minimalist stock that I shoot on all my uh, AR-style guns. And then I put a carbon fiber uh, tube on the front end. Oh my good lord! It's it's a four pound gun, like yep. four pound and like half an ounce. That gun balances well, shoots well, extremely reliable. So you've got now you've turned a pretty reliable gun into a into a race gun. You know, it's yep. not it's not a two thousand dollar gun, but it's not a six hundred dollar gun anymore. Right. But that's a great example on you know, you can take one and, you know, work with somebody like me to, to get you into, you know, something like that. Of course, it's got a cool ass paint job. Can I say that? On a, on, <laughs> you you on the absolutely air? can say did, that. Did I, And you know, <laughs> it's all engraved up, of course, you know, kind of a cool thing, but you know, you can, you can build those types of things and, you know, still be budget conscious and add as you go. And those kind of things or plop down money on a, you know, Magnum research or, well, you or know, the thing about in or something uh, the, like the, the Tipman,
0: if, and if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, but their, their 22 version is also based on that kind of AR style platform, correct?
1: Oh, it is. And me and somebody else that's in the gun industry, we went back and forth because I started shooting a, an AR style platform, the uh, MMP 1522, and I just couldn't get the reliability. You know, mm-hmm. everybody's got to replace the extractor and those things. And sometimes it's a good, gu-
0: it's a good gun to start. Let's, 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 you know, we're not here to diss anybody, but it's also a production line manufactured gun,
1: but, but I, I couldn't, you know, outside of the heavy barrel and some other people have made, you know, barrels that go on those. And again, some people have some and they swear by them, but I had three or four of them. I started off with one then went to two, and then I had backup guns but it was something about the poly receiver and the, the type of trigger that I tried to lighten. I think there was, I was getting flex and maybe the trigger technology, like the elf trigger mm-hmm. got, sit sitting one right here. That's all a self-contained unit JP triggers, same exact way. They make these uh, module triggers yep. where, yep. you know, you don't have to, you do have to you know put in a shim and, you know, uh, adjust some uh, Allen Allen heads, but you slide two pins in and it's all self-contained, yep. you know, yep maybe that would have worked in MP fifteen twenty two, but I had a trigger that was supposed to be, you know, two, two and a quarter pounds. I couldn't get it less than three pounds. Most of the time I was like three. And it's, I think it was because of the flex of the receiver and maybe it's just the gun that I had, but that's a good part about the tipman. It's, it's, it's the, um, you know, it's, it's a budget minded gun when it comes to, you know, grip and buttstock and those kind of things, but the platform itself. Oh, it's, it's nice. It's, it's aluminum upper lower, just like a regular AR a little proprietary on the magazines, but you know, they make a ton of these things and they're not super expensive. So that's an example where you can get into something and just kind of build it up. But I'm telling you what I've shot, you know, some of the, I think tandem cross worked with them on a red line gun, which feels pretty good because they uh, took weight out of the barrel. So I want to metal madness, but man, you know, worked with Tacom to, uh, to, uh, to get an option like this. And he chopped down a couple barrels and we went a little bit longer than his first ones. And they are the Jack run like a sewing machine and the balance of the gun for a four pound gun. Oh no, it's, it's, it's amazing. But again, it's, it's, you get started for 600 bucks and then you could add to it or, you know, you can reach out and, you know, get you spend a little bit more than $600. Sure. Well, um, where I was but, going
0: with this too, being it based on, on, a, on an air style, Feel is that if you're also shooting PCC, yep, you're going to have that same feel. Yep, you know there's, you know, there is a different feel when I pick up my PCC, which is a JP, compared to my Magnum Research in a in Jazz. Yep, and yep. so if you're if you're a, a shooter that feels you want to have your guns all feel the same way, there is an option because you know while there are. PCCs out there that uh, don't follow the AR9 platform style, they don't tend to be very competitive. Yeah. There's one, I'm not going to say the name of it, but it's like a tube with a trigger is <laughs> what you get. And, yeah. uh, and, and I've seen people shoot them and, and they just they're, they're just not set up well for our game. Well, yeah, that's cool. So, so yeah, go ahead, go ahead. You got another point. No,
1: I was, ju- I was just going to say it's, I can't stress this point enough. Jeff is that I, I've had a, I've had a safe full of, I would call them mistakes. I mean, they were, cause I didn't know, you yep. know, there's popular platforms, And if you look at the top, you know, 20 shooters in rimfire pistol, what are they shooting? You look at the top 20 shooters and rimfire rifle open. What are they shooting? You know what I mean? It's, it's no disrespect to some of these other guns, but they're not shooting a Thompson center fire 22. And again, I think it's a great (laughs) gun and all those kind of things, but you know, they're not shooting a cricket either. You know what I mean? (laughs) You know, it's uh,
0: absolutely
1: it's so it's model after what they're, they're doing. There's a reason why they're shooting them. And, and some of them are fully sponsored shooters and they get guns for free. Don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of us that again, back to the sponsorship thing. Oh no, I I bought my first whatever and then I engage with with companies on but I got to believe in the product and yes. But you got to either either go all in as soon as you know you're getting pretty serious or you want to get serious, lay down the money and, and and get what you need to be successful so you take that thing off the plate. If not, make sure you're buying a platform that you can you can upgrade.
0: And I'm not going to say all shooters will do this, but I know Steve's done it, I've done it. I've seen a lot of other shooters do it. And that is, if you want to feel what a gun feels like shooting, grab somebody after a match, make sure you're clear it with the match director, the range master, get to a bay and shoot the guns that yeah. you're interested in. I mean, Steve did it at, at worlds and, 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 you know, let me shoot his, his new JP five and he let a lot of other people do it. And I've, you know, and you know, I've been at matches. um, I I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I borrowed Kurt Omensetter's gun. I I've seen Steve pull a gun out of his car and give it to a competitor to shoot. Oh yeah. I've done the same thing. It's like we want, and they tend to sell themselves. Absolutely. You know? So, well, that's really cool. Let's turn the, let's turn the table a little bit here. And so we've talked a little bit about, you know, getting prepped and getting out there. But now let's talk about, do you do anything different when you're getting ready for a major?
1: You know, I, I've, had, I've had the same routine. I think we talked about this maybe a year or two ago. I've got the same routine. Um, it's, it's not necessarily a checklist, although I started, started down that path, but I'm very methodical on, and I'm thinking, you know, as I'm going on a trip, because that's coming up in a couple of weeks, South Georgia match is when I load everything, it's always in a specific order that it's it's always all all my magazines are loaded. And then as soon as I get done loading like all my rimfire stuff, I then put my rimfire ammunition that I'm using the match in there. And then I go gun by gun and make multiple trips to the vehicle to make sure I'm focused on, I've got the gun, got the mags, got this gun, got the mags, got this gun, got the holster, got the mags, you know. Those kind of things to make sure that I'm successful over the course of time in terms of shooting preparation, um, you know, major matches. I used to spend quite a bit of time, a couple of weeks, you know, sometimes a month, depending on what's going on, and shooting a quite a bit leading into some of those major matches. I've slowed down on that a little bit, but if I want to be super, super competitive, it's uh, it's one of those things. It's it's eye hand brain to finger coordination and um that's why you've seen over the course of years when they set up the world speed shoot they always have practice days ahead of time that's really for people to get tuned up it's not necessarily practice as it is everybody getting tuned up and getting in the zone i remember when kenny nagata two years ago first time he was shooting the world speed shoot nobody knew who he was besides me you what was he doing he got there like a the beginning of the week and he was practicing uh every day and that allowed him, you know, he was going to shoot well regardless, but I think that allowed him to kick it up a gear. And that's why you see some of these other famous shooters back when uh, a lot of people used to shoot center fire. Now in a rim fire match, you're welcome for that, Jeff. I think it's funny because people get their panties <laughs> in a lot about it, but it makes me chuckle. Sorry if I offended you. No, I'm not really. Sorry. You're not going
0: to offend me. No, I, I, I shoot kidding. ball. I shoot no, a ball. No, no, no.
1: But, but, but a lot of the center fire guys. That's exactly what they would do. They would oh, always. Yeah? The day ahead of time, they would shoot at least one full match the day prior. So it used to be shoot uh, rim fire on Friday, center fire iron sights on Saturday, and then open on Sunday. Back in 2012, my first World Speed Shoot, that's what they did. Even in 2016, I think that was the format, and then it kind of you know went away from there. But all the pro shooters back then on Thursday, they went to practice they would shoot the full match on the practice base then shoot that match after that match got done, they would go get their iron sight, um, pistol, shoot the whole match on the practice base, and then go shoot on Saturday. And after Saturday, you know what happened? they would get their open guns and shoot at least a full match, um, prior to, uh, to Sunday. And so uh, they're, they're, they are they they were not doing that because they got a lot of free ammo. They didn't know what to do and they had a lot of free time. They didn't know what to do. There's a reason for that. And it's, it's to help, uh, You know, synapses shorter together.
0: I worked the practice bays the last time I worked the worlds, uh, which was the first year was in Alabama. And uh what I also learned specifically from those pro shooters, and and I mean I'll call them up by name. It was it was Max, it was it was Casey, it was Jesse, Muneki was up there. They don't they were shooting two matches a year in Steel Challenge. Mm Mm-hmm they were shooting back then it was us steel and and the worlds you know they weren't shooting locals they weren't shooting other area matches of course back then there weren't many area matches to begin with but so it was to your point it was that tune-up remembering what they had to do in this game you know most of them were still shooting you know U.S.P. uh, shooting a lot of uspsa so they're they were comfortable uh, again, shooting the gun, but it was getting them focused on what they needed to do in steel challenge. Yep. So, well, very cool. Listen, um, you had sent something earlier and I wrote it down um, and you said you want to talk about sponsorship. So uh, give us your thoughts on that.
1: I th- I think that's, I'll give you just a little bit more than what I already have. And then, um, cause I know we're getting probably, rolling up on an hour and, you know, I could talk about sponsorship for, for hours. Oh, we, we, we did an entire podcast
0: on it. So oh, yeah. <laughs> cliff notes, so, cliff notes.
1: <laughs> so, so let me share a perspective in, you know, my role, not talking about my role at, at steel target pain as the captain and making selections on, you know, who and, and who you are. let me just, let me just point that out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. Contracts are bought up, aren't they? No, i just kidding. Um, <laughs> So I was talking with uh, a sponsor that I've been with for I don't know probably three or four years, and um, I I would say have developed a close relationship with them. And you know we hadn't talked in you know a couple months, and you know we talked for an hour tonight before the podcast, and uh, we were talking about sponsorship. One of their kids is involved in something, and I won't give out too many details so you can't connect the dots. But you know in his son is trying to get sponsorship for what he's doing and he's got all this stuff together so on and so forth and nobody not nobody the level of commitment that he's getting from sponsors is pretty tough and the same thing happens in the gun industry i think there's a lot of people before us that ruined a lot of it for good shooters that are good at promoting products because a lot of companies you know, he you goes, hey, this is what I'm going to do, blah, blah, blah. You know, if you just go and ask for your handout and you're not going to say what you're going to do for whatever, then, you know, you're not going to be successful to begin with, or at least I'm not young enough and built right enough for that. You know what I mean, Jeff? Yep, I do. So, so because, you know, it, it's some of that stuff sells for instead of us old guys. It's it's my advice, and listen to my good friend Kenzie. She was on uh, Scottville Courtson's podcast talking about sponsorship is, you know, if if you want to shoot for JP or you want to shoot for this, or you want to shoot for tandem cross, how did Mike Baker become? uh, I think he's the co-captain, maybe the full captain. I'm not sure of team tandem cross. He got a a tattoo, but that's not what got him there. (laughs) What got him there was buying the product, believing in the product. Yeah. Promoting the product. And, and, and that's what companies like to see. They don't. They don't want to see, well, here's all the major matches I got, and I'm the best shooter in the world. Okay, there's a couple of companies that probably still really, really want that, but that's not what sells product. It really isn't. There's, you know, the top, top, top fraction of 1%. Yeah, maybe that that helps, but um, and that's what, you know, he was being very kind in his words to me um, because we were talking about some sales stuff, and, you know, we were talking about a certain product that I represent. And he's like, man, every time you post about that, it's like my sales go crazy. And I said, well, it's, it's not, it's not because of um, I just post about it. It's because you go to the range and you don't want, you want, you want to share what makes your setup successful and people want that shortcut. People don't want the tuition of, you know, a, a gun say full of product. And unfortunately it takes some of us time to, you know, maybe make moves here or there to, to get the support. At least this is my philosophy of stuff that runs and works, and I can stand behind in those kind of things. But yeah. well, it was pretty interesting. We talked about that for almost an hour. He had somebody reach out to him and wanted X, Y, Z, one, two, three. He asked him, "So, what am I going to get in return?" Oh, it was you know. Well, I'm gonna you know post once on social media for hundreds of, hundreds of dollars. That's that's really what you're going to do. And it wasn't more about the short term; is more about the long term. And so I think that's my other because I've had some pretty intense conversations with some of the best shooters in our game about this very topic of just because in the example I use and pardon the expression, there's always going to be a pretty girl walking down the street. That's going to want to be with you. And, you know, you got to go with it's more about the relationship than it's the, you know, six month or 12 month interaction from time to time. I think some people have learned that lesson. Yeah, well, we've talked about
0: this and, and and i'll add my take on it too is that you know you get noticed because of your shooting okay you get sponsored because of who you are
1: yeah and and you that's re- my that's opinion. a great point you, great point and you get retained as a sponsor yes because who you are yes. yep
0: you know um you look at a lot of the people, you look at Mike, we'll take Mike Baker. We'll, we'll call him out. Mike and I have, a, have a, we, we're always joking at each other like we hate each other. And actually, I, I couldn't think of anybody I'd rather see at a match. I think Mike's a great person. I think Elsie's a little better, but Mike's, yeah, a, Mike's I, a good I,
1: I, I don't <laughs> think anybody here listening on the podcast is going to disagree with you.
0: <laughs> but here's the thing about Mike. He's approachable. Here's the thing yeah. about you. He's approachable. Here's the thing about me. I'm approachable. You know, I don't have a whole lot of sponsors. That's not the route I've going. Um, and that's not right. It's not wrong. It's just who I am. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm very pleased with the, the small group of people who I, you know, companies I represent. Um, and, you know, I know you are, we've had them on the podcast. I'm going to call them out. Hunter's HD gold. Yeah. And I don't know how many times people are like, Hey, those are rubies you're wearing. And the first thing I do is take them off. I go, here, you want to try them? Yeah. And, but, but the- it's, it's, and, and that's, you know, cause I've seen a lot of, I know of a lot of people who are great shooters who don't have the mentality. And you need to go into the ideal of not what are they going to do for me? What is, what is the manufacturing to do for me? It's like, what can I do for them? Exactly, you know. And if you go in with that mentality, and you know, I was just talking with—I uh, was—I had to go into a, a a PT session today for my shoulder, and I was talking with a doctor, and and we got talking a bunch of bunch of stuff, and I said, you know, we're a small game, you know, bowling is multiple factors bigger than we are you you can pick many other sports much bigger than we are and so it there's a small being a small pool there isn't going to be as many people that are going to get those super deals but that doesn't mean you just can't find someone who you like i mean the perfect example is what you said you bought a JP, you shot it, you loved it. And then you took the opportunity to approach them with a plan of what I think I can help you do to sell more guns, which is their goal. And I think that's where a lot of people are like, well, I want to get a Jersey and I want to shoot for them. And I want to get my, my matches paid for. And it's like, yeah, but what are you going to do for that manufacturer? Yep, yep. That sponsor. So, well, you're right. We're at about an hour. And you know what? I'm going to do you a solid today. And I'm going to tell <laughs> everybody that if you want a discount at rangestore.net, make sure you use our code STPodcast10 for 10% off your order. Steve, it's always great talking with you. Good times.
1: It's good talking with you tonight, Jeff. Appreciate it.
0: All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been the Steel Target Bay Podcast. Hope you had fun. Bye bye.